almost a week into our winter retreat and uh, into uh, our full schedule group retreat, which will end uh, tomorrow night. So I think each of us has had our own unique individual experiences this week. Sachin Tadir was pointing out there are the, the five hindrances that he reviewed and each of us um, likely struggles with uh, one or possibly several at a time uh, going through them uh, quite frequently actually it's my experience And so it's not, you know, of course it's not a personal thing. It's just uh, what all of us uh, have tendencies towards. And the Buddha identified uh, the hindrances in terms of um, just was a, a common thread, kind of common thread def de uh, defined by the uh, sort of this, our defilement or uh, what keeps us hindered keeps us back from peace and calm, tranquility, uh, wisdom, understanding, keeps us uh, sort of ignorant and confused. And at times these can be quite overwhelming uh, when we're, we're sitting in our meditation or um, whatever we might be doing, they can, they can be overwhelming to us. And at other times, especially when it seems we're not really paying attention to them, they can seem quite underwhelming. I remember a, a question when I was living in uh, White Salmon, a uh, person who was, had actually been practicing for a while said, well, so these hindrances, they, they only operate when you're meditating, right? And I was surprised by the question, but, uh, but it, it could, one could easily understand why that would be thought to be true because well we notice them mostly when we're you know when we're paying attention to them uh, but when we're not paying attention then they can take on a life of their own and we can go on automatic pilot and and have no idea that we're responding out of desire or uh, hatred or um, these can just just seem like very intense emotions to us so the next part of uh, our retreat, the, the readings we're going to have are on the hindrances. So I think we're going to go through about a couple of weeks of talking about the hindrances. So I hope you like hearing about hindrances as they're coming. I was thinking about just... Um, how many uh, of these retreats uh, I've gone on and, and done and um, when I was a, a, a lay person um, I, I started doing these long retreats, I mentioned this before and, and uh, just experienced a lot of peace and thought that that's all my life would, would be like as a Buddhist monk, would just be peaceful so I had this 
expectation. I come to a monastery and then arrive, and it's just uh, it's just peace from there on out. But that's you know that's not the case. We often have to deal with all kinds of things that come up. Even so, uh, seems to me it can be even more intense just because, like that question about like the hindrances aren't operating, for example, or that question about that when you're not meditating. Uh, when one starts to pay attention to them more and more, um, it can be, yeah, it can be pretty intense. It can be difficult, sometimes overwhelming. I can sometimes think that I've, I've made progress and then delving a little bit deeper and just something comes up and it's these hindrances again, difficulties, problems on the path. And so this is very common and uh, it can be disheartening sometimes, uh, sort of painful, because we think that we've either made progress or we think something might not be as difficult as we, as we um, had imagined it might be. And then, yeah, it can, it can uh, sort of the, the things from our past, our memories, or, uh, or any kind of difficulties we're not expecting, they can rear their ugly head. But the problem is that we're, we're often hoping or expecting this not to be true. I was talking earlier to some of the members of the community around um, just this sense of planning and what, how we think things are going to go. And uh, we didn't think that, you know, most of the operating features of the um, reception hall here in terms of the HVAC, the, the heating and cooling and pumps and would all fail at once. Um, or the same thing would happen just uh, days later at the um, monks utility building up top. Tony also discovered uh, what looked like a massive amount of smoke was coming out of um, the boiler room which is this room that heats the, the mob. It's not in the monks' utility building, but above it. And it looked like there was about to be an explosion. It was actually steam. Um, and there was, uh, disaster was averted though. So, um, but these, you know, we, we expect, look forward to this retreat. Oh, it's going to be such a nice, quiet, calm time. Simplicity. Um, just this morning, our, um, Electric, one of our electric vehicles started having a hard time charging and just seemed like everything was going wrong at, at the same time. And we, you know, we can get into a sense of like, I didn't plan for this. This wasn't supposed to happen, you know, like I was supposed to just be on retreat, you know. Things that there's not supposed to be uh, problems when you're on retreat. And it's, you know, that's just exactly the opposite. So this is when, when we start to delve into uh, really trying to pay closer and closer attention and work with difficulties. Um, they tend to arise much more easily and, uh, or, or in ways that, we, that are unexpected. And so we, we can get caught in that. It's called vibhava tanha, that, that sense of, of planning, becoming, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be that. 
I mean, if, if it was that, if only if it was that easy, you know, you're like, okay, at 5 a.m. I'm going to go to puja, and perhaps you'd, you'd like to plan your defilements out. You'd say, okay, I'm going to have a lot of desire in the morning, and then kind of get excited right around uh, 6.58, it's a bell, I know I'm going to eat, and then I'm going to get all greedy, and then, then I'm going to be feel, feel guilty about that. And then I'm going to get really tired after that, trying to meditate. And in one way, it might be nice to have kind of a sense of what actually is happening. But in another way, it's we just have no idea what's going to arise for us. So for you know, for me, for example, uh, on this retreat, I've uh, just been experiencing lots more torpor than I'm used to. And so I can kind of try to figure that out. Okay, I need need a little bit more sleep and um, or need to eat a little bit less or and there are, there are things there's causes and conditions but there's also this sense of fighting against it fighting against our minds you know I have to make this better I got to get this right we're trying to constantly figure out you know and plan and uh, understand well this is the most efficient best way I'm gonna be able to tackle this problem and often it's just not with being with our current experience or allowing ourselves to, to just observe it. There's got to be something wrong, something right, something better, something I have to do or I'll, I'll have to get. When's the peace going to come? And so we, we, you know, we can have these expectations and uh, not really realize that they're they're just you know just another hindrance, another problem in our practice. We just think they're they're part of what what I am and and how I should experience life. I remember that uh, the first year I was uh, on a garka, I, I had been on been in Baigiri for. I had already served the winter retreat uh, the year before, and then, uh, and then uh, I think I was in the guard for about nine months, and then began the winter retreat. And I uh, was quite diligent with my practice, really putting in a lot of time. And I'd go out on the walking path, and and then there it would be, just peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I had to have one. I had to think about making it, how I would get it, when it would come. And it would like be an hour of thinking about this. And I would come to the end of the hour and the bell would ring. Uh, I'd have some alarm and I would just think, wow, it's unbelievable. How could these, this happen to me? You know, this, this obsessive, ridiculous, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't obsessed with peanut butter and jelly before. Like, how could this just be so, so like intense and extreme? And then I'd, I'd sit and, and sometimes it would just go away, but, but there were times it would just come back and hit me and, and I just, the humor of it now is, uh, it's quite nice to remind myself. And, you know, it just, and, and it's not a big deal now, you know, the same thing doesn't, I'm uh, obsessed about other things, but, um, 
at that point in time, it was just like, I was like planning like, well, maybe I can like mail my mom and have her like send like a couple of loaves of bread and peanut butter and jelly. And then I planned like bringing it over to one of my friend's kutis. And, and I, it was just so obsessive and so ridiculous. Um, and I, I think one time I just like, the hour had finished on the walking path and I just like got down and started crying. <laughs> just, uh, just the uh, incredible desire for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So thankfully it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come up so much anymore, although there can be sometimes excitement about uh, bread breakfast once a week, we have bread. And uh, it's just, but it's, 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 uh, it's part of like an impersonal process. Because at the time I was taking that very personally, I was thinking this is, this is me, there's a problem with me, there's a problem with my mind, there's something wrong here, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be like this. And I, and I, oh, I was upset with myself, how can, I, how can I make this right, how can I end this, how can I stop this from happening, so it's like, is it, is it a super practice, is it, um, you know, I would try to work with with different things and um, and often it was just this just this intense feeling of not wanting to be with with this experience, thinking that it was ridiculous and I shouldn't be uh, having this problem. And so that you know we 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 want to kind of look at that in our in our own uh, practice. You know, how much we're, there's a feeling of, of what's personal, what's me and mine. And we solidify that quite often. Um, and this is why the, the Buddha focused on these three characteristics, this, this sense of not-self. Just don't worry about it. It's, it's not me and mine. You're just telling yourself that. And so we can believe it so strongly that it just, it feels like it's me you know, me and my problem. So much of our practice is trying to, to as, um, as Lumpur Sumedho, the title of his book, I think is Don't Take Your Life Personally, um, or Don't Take Yourself Personally. It's, it's really, um, it's important to, to try to remind ourselves of that. And his other phrase, of course, that I, I, I use a lot is, it's like this. It just takes the person right out of that. Obsessing about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is like this. There's no one else there. There's nothing, there's nothing there just than, than that experience in and of itself. And I was thinking about, you know, like, why, particularly in a monastery, why, why would something like that come up, get obsessed with, with, with food? You might start seeing that in your own minds. What is it? Why did that, why has that started happening a little bit more, perhaps, on this retreat? Because we've cut off, we've cut off everything else, you know, we know that we're not going to engage in sexuality. Um, we're not going to engage in entertainment. There's so much that's cut off, and yet there's food every day. 
And so we have this one sensual outlet. And of course, that's going to become big in the mind. And so again, it's just, it's just not a personal process. We don't have to see it that way. It's where our minds tend to go. So, you know, over and over again during this retreat, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be dealing with, um, <clears throat> well, who knows? As I said, it's just you can't really plan it out. You don't know how it's going to go. But it's important to bring that in mo- to mind as much as you can, you know, to really kind of remember, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure how this is going to be. So for the, some of the monks are, you know, for all of us, uh, tomorrow is our last full day of, of group practice for a while. And so for some, this, this might be, oh, I can't wait just to have my own time. Full afternoon, morning. Others might say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Without a schedule, I'm just going to get so lost. I'm not going to, it's going to be total failure. And we have, we have really no idea how it's going to go. And we might look forward to some aspect of, of the retreat or what it's going to bring. And it might be that that very thing actually brings calamity, you know. So the Buddha was really, he was really encouraging us to, to be careful of this, this bhavatana, this becoming, this sense of how we think of ourselves either in the past or the future, being something I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to have. This is going to be mine. And then it just, it changes all the time. So for that, you know, just bringing that phrase up, it's like this. It really, it really is an antidote to that sense. Just you, you want to plan something. I'm going to do so many hours of sitting meditation a day. I'm going to do walking, practice chanting, a little bit of sutta study here and there. I'm going to, on and on the, might, the mind might plan. But, you know, the next morning you might get up and you, you just, uh, you're having problems breathing. You know, it's just anything, anything might happen. Or the, the heater in your kuti is broken and it, it takes like all morning or, or all day to figure it out. Or, or actually it doesn't get figured out and the heater's broken and you can't get it fixed. Whatever, whatever it might be, we, we, uh, when we're open to the possibilities and, and we know like a Nietzsche, it's not sure, then there's, there can be a lot less suffering. Because then when that thing arises that we weren't prepared for, we just know, well, that's exactly what the Buddha was teaching us. We don't know. And uh, another thing that, that uh, can often come up uh, during the retreat is is our sense of, um, I think as, as Lumpur Sachito likes to talk about, it's activation. That sense we can have of being really worked up. Uh, and how easy it is for us to, to get into a state like that. 
after you, you um, sit down, start meditating, it can take a whole hour till you start feeling, oh yeah, this is restful, and this is, this is quiet. Then you get up from your seat and, and you happen to hear somebody talking in one of the rooms. You go into the room and then get into a conversation and, and all of a sudden there it is. It was like just two minutes later, just the mind becomes completely activated, agitated, worried, concerned, interested, desirous. And it works like that. It's just one, two, three minutes of uh, just to get totally riled up and then an hour or two just to calm down. So we, we often have to be very careful with our minds. We have to be very careful with um, that sense of balance, you know, that how, how, how we get activated, how we um, get into situations that aren't too helpful for us. So speech, speech is a very common one. That's why we're, we're trying to work on this during the, the winter retreat honing in on what's, what's necessary, what's helpful, what's noble. What's kind. <clears throat> and so we can see, you know, in many ways, you know, how do we, how do we decrease this, this intense activation that it can occur for us? The, just the, the ability of our minds to pick something up so quickly and then to just run with it. And then the time that it takes to, to calm down, it, it's, um, it's something we, we need to be very careful of because then we see the preciousness of, of the peace that we gain, the peace that we um, experience, and how it really takes a lot of uh, effort and work to, to decrease this activation, to kind of just allow like a, you know, a snow globe that's kind of, that's moving. And all this, the, the fake snow pieces are kind of moving around, swirling around. That, that only takes a second. And you notice it just takes so much longer for them to all settle. One of the uh, metaphors that Lumpur Suchito used was, uh, he was talking about decibels, and um, I think the way decibels work is like, Every 10, every jump in 10 is a, is a multiplication of 10. So if you're at one decibel, you move to 10 decibels, that's of course 10 times that one. But when you go to 20, it's then 100 times louder. So it's times 10 from that 10 is 100. So it just gets very intense, intense uh, in terms of when you're at like something like 40, 50 decibels, 60, 70 starts to get to a point of injuring your ear. But a lot of us, we, we tend to be very familiar with working at about 40 decibels, you know, our activity. Not thinking of noise in that way, but just thinking about our active minds. Kind of like moving, shaking, quaking, acting, responding, reacting. We're very used to that. I mean, even 
even as you work in the kitchen, you know, there's the Baigiri kitchen sort of like, um, all right, there's these random different foods in the walk-in and stores and we have two and a half hours, okay, go. And it can, you know, it can feel very intense. But, but we're, we're used, we can be uh, very used to that kind of activity and that action and, and it can be quite easy to get stirred up and um, stirred up by like, you know, the monastery systems failing um, or some confrontation you had with somebody, some, some difficult conversation or something that was said that might have been said so insensitively or too directly or something like that. And it just gets the mind worked up so quickly, so easily. But many of us are, are, are used to that. And then we, we come and we sit on the cushion and think, what is going on? My mind is just a mess. And so what was apt about this metaphor Lumpur was talking about is learning how to, how to live to experience things at five decibels. How can you bring your, your mental activity and your own experience down to that level? So that's actually where you're working. So in terms of the, you know, deactivating the mental energy, the mental activity, there's a fair amount of work that the, the, the Buddha encourages in terms of doing that. So the Eightfold Path, is a, it's a whole round, rounded um, experience of how to actually um, deactivate one's mind. So that we experience peace and we are able to slow down and see and understand how it is that we're, we're causing ourselves dukkha, how we're causing ourselves suffering. And we can't do that at 40 decibels. Because the mind is, is, it's not even responding, it's just reacting. It's just very, very fast reactions over and over. It's like, you know, that, that as I was saying, it might, one might not even recognize uh, the hindrances operating. Wouldn't know that desire, greed, anger, or... Um, you know, some sense of, of uh, tiredness. Sometimes you can be really tired in your meditation. You, you don't know, like somebody might tell you, you know, your body was swaying back and forth. and You might not even know that. So, it, you know, when we start to pay attention, then we slow, you know, we, we bring the, these decibels down, quiet the mind, deactivate the mind. And so then we start to learn how to respond at these lower levels, to respond at, uh, in a way that, that uh, isn't kind of increasing our activity. It doesn't get us riled up. And this is essentially what the, the Buddhist teachings are around right effort. You know, you, you know essentially what a wholesome state is and what an unwholesome one is. And you know how to, to increase the wholesome and sustain those states and to prevent the unwholesome and decrease them.
when they've entered the mind. So on this retreat, we can, we can start to try to, to learn this skill of operating in a way that is causing us as least dukkha as possible. And so sometimes that's learning, okay, I, don't, I know this will get me into trouble, so I'm not going to go there, even though I want to. You know, I hear this conversation I want to get into, but desires there. But am I, am I able to, to let go of that, to renounce that? And it's, it's very difficult to do, um, and it, it, it is, uh, takes a very long time to develop that because we, we get rewards for enacting our desires. You know, we do experience the pleasant. If we see something that we, we really like, something we want to eat, and we, we go for that thing, and maybe we take two or three rather than just one. Well, there's, there's something pleasant that comes from that, isn't there? You get some, instead of three, you get one. But you also get three more feelings of guilt or, or kind of more addiction to that thing or have a sense that you failed, whatever it might be. There's a, there's a downside when we enact on uh, our unwholesome desires. And then a wholesome desire is that, oh, I'll, I'll leave this for the others behind me so that they can have something. They can have something sweet. And we, so we have to be, you know, we have to be very careful about how we're, how we're holding our minds especially around others, caring for others. Because we can, uh, especially in a treat like this, when things go quiet, then it's not actually the, the quiet that makes everything hunky-dory. It's sort of, that can amplify, that can begin to activate our minds in certain ways because sometimes we're just not used to operating at uh, these quieter levels, not speaking as much. So then we can become quite critical quite critical of others. I remember there, there was a, a funny story of um, a, a senior monk and a junior monk living together in a monastery, and this junior monk, he had developed this very critical mind, and he was just constantly looking um, for this, uh, this senior monk to see, oh, he, you know, he's, um, He's, he, he was just very critical of him and he was constantly trying to find something that was wrong, something he was doing. And, um, and I think as the, as the story went, you know, the, when the monks walk on, on alms round, they're supposed to have their, both of their shoulders covered and especially when they're, when they're done with their alms round, sometimes the monks will hike their robe up over their shoulder to get you know, it can be very hot in Thailand. So it's sort of a, um, <clears throat> it's not, it's obviously a, a tiny thing, but it's seen as uh, sort of 
they're not very beautiful. And so this, uh, this junior monk kind of was watching and he was behind uh, this other monk who was essentially supposed to be like his teacher and he, he saw this senior monk kind of threw this, his robe over his shoulder and, and, uh, and was kind of exposing his shoulder in that way and, and he thought, oh, there it is, God, he's just as bad as I thought he was. Oh, a terrible monk, I caught him finally. And so then he, he went up to this, this monk later um, that day and he said, you know, I, I just wanted you to know that, you know, did you know, you know, you did this, you're not supposed to really show your, your shoulder, you know, on the, on the way back from alms round and it's supposed to be well covered. And, and the monk said, well, yes, Venerable, I, I know I did that. And I just, I know that you've been actually watching me this, uh, this vasa, this time that we've been living together and you've just been thinking so critically of me and wanting to find fault. And over and over you've, you've just tried to find things and you just couldn't. And I just thought, if only this one moment, I could just give him a little happiness. And so I took my robe off my shoulder and, are you happy? And so this can, you know, this is how the mind can be just completely overwhelmed sometimes. We just take a, a negative view towards someone and we can't see anything other than that. We just believe in our, our own uh, anger or aversion. We, we think of it as true and we, we fill our minds with it. And we activate ourselves. We get, we get uh, quite deluded in it and, and we don't see how we can kind of calm down um, our experience. We don't see what's actually better for ourselves. We don't see how kindness and metta actually is so much more delicious than uh, hatred and anger. And of course the other, the other way the mind can go in this state is towards ourselves. So for many of us it's not others that we, we, uh, we can get angry about or activated around. It's, it's our own our own ways of being, our behaviors, and we think, oh, I'm such, I'm such a fool. I really overcooked those eggs. And uh, everyone's going to know it. And sometimes you can ask, you start asking something about, did you see I did this thing? And No. People have no idea. And we create the, uh, our own comparisons and, and we, we create the, the aversion and anger from others in our own minds. It doesn't exist. Sometimes. It's just not even there. And so we're, we're trying to just consistently be more and more aware of our own tendencies. What we call anusaya, our underlying tendencies what's often riding under the surface that we don't see, what's uh, the causes, what is it that we're, we're often not seeing or we're taking for granted. Something like a tendency towards self-hatred or where um, it might be, yeah, that criticality towards others. For myself, I've just been noticing 
uh, on this retreat how difficult it is, uh, and, and in general, it's probably been the most uh, difficult aspect of my monastic practice is this activation, the ease with which my mind can be taken with uh, activity and um, have a hard time putting it down and, and can easily get swept up in something. So I have to, you know, there's, there's some planning I have to deal with during the retreat um, around building kutis next year. And I can just see the, the mind, it's, it's very hard to reach a state of calm when, when there's this have to, must, get it done, work it out, figure it out. And so much worry about it that's done when it actually doesn't, it, it doesn't take that much work. It's the worrying that takes so much work. It's the, the sense of having to and got to and better. And I've thought about that a lot. I mean, there are practical reasons why it's, it's an incredibly generous thing that the retreat uh, support team is here and, and helping take over a lot of the monastic duties. And it's no small thing that, that when um, we have less responsibilities on our plate, then uh, we can focus more in certain ways on the Dhamma, at least, you know, for the many beginning years of our practice, that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes putting down certain responsibilities in order to be able to watch the mind more closely. And the hope is that later on, it, it just doesn't seem to affect the mind. Lumpur Liam, I think, is an incredible um, example of that, where he's building large Dhamma halls, he's in charge of uh, essentially overseeing over 300 monasteries and um, lots of problems he has to deal with. People come to him needing their problems resolved. But he just doesn't seem phased. After, after years of work, after also perhaps lifetimes, So this is what we, we can aspire to, um, but we have to kind of be in the gutter for a while. We have to be in the, uh, in the sewers. We don't want to be there. You know, we'd rather be flying in the sky, but, but sometimes we have to deal with some of these difficulties in our minds. And this can be last many years or perhaps many lifetimes. Though we, we don't have to expect a miracle. We don't have to expect or plan for the best retreat because it's always just going to be the way it is. And it's important not to take that and say, okay, well then I can just be lazy and don't need to put much effort in because it's just going to be how it is. Well, that's, that's a misunderstanding. So we want to still try to put in uh, especially an interest in what it is that we're doing. And that interest will then carry us through. It will, it will help us through um, <clears throat> the difficulties we might experience. It will help us through 
a feeling of laziness or I'd rather not. Why bother? It's nicer to sleep in. And so if, as long as we can kind of maintain that interest in what it is that we're doing, then that will help us uh, maintain whatever the, the difficulties that are going to arise. Because we, we're not focusing on an easy time, we're not focusing on things being um, feeling good. We're focusing on what, what can I learn? How can I understand this problem? And just like these, these storms that are uh, coming through uh, over the last week and a half and, and projected to continue, the, they're, they're, just, um, they're just the storms of our mind. They're just like that. They, just, they kind of arise and they sometimes seem quite unpleasant. The coldness, the wet, the wind, the intensity of the rain. But then we realize, I mean, if we're pretty fortunate here, but what's happening is it's not, it's not that bad, you know, it's just, just wet, wind, cold. So, you know, try to have that same attitude towards the, these mind states, rather than taking them personally. It's my storm, it's my rain, my wind. And when it's, it's, it's impersonal, you remind yourself of that, then it, it just doesn't have that heaviness. And then you, you, you realize, oh, well, actually, if it's not mine, then I, I don't have to worry so much. I can actually take an interest and, and learn from it. When we're taking it personally, it's, it's very hard to do that because it seems so much me, and it's hard to, to even have an interest in it. So I think I've gone on enough tonight, and I uh, just want to encourage everyone in, uh, in your practice, uh, as things change and morph throughout the retreat, Enjoy this uh, one last day of uh, group practice together and uh, be careful of that desire around space and finally getting our, our time to be alone or do it what we want. Because you, you, know, you might just get what you wish for, which is not what you actually want. And uh, yeah, try not to take it so uh, so personally. <laughs>